This is my favorite kind of sermon. If I, when I go guest preach, this is pretty much the sermon I take with me. I, I really enjoy it. And um, me and Dave are different kinds of preachers. He's a theologian, a historian. He'll read John Calvin for three hours. I, I like kind of new, innovative ideas that I have to check with my mentors, whether they're, um, you know, a heretic, you know, whether they're still orthodox or not. And I, I kind of rather have my okay or bad idea that's new than like a really great old idea. So that's kind of how I am. And um, that's how I see it. But I do love reading commentaries as well and mining uh, great thoughts. So this is kind of one of those sermons that I have a deep attachment to because uh, I love the concept of it. Um, I love this idea of, of what love is. And so we're going to break off actually a few times during the service. So if you would find maybe um, be in a group of like three or four and start off this conversation, I would really appreciate it. And if you could especially look around and meet someone that you haven't met before, that would be awesome too. Okay, so go ahead, break off into groups of three or four and uh, go around and just answer this question, what is love? All right, hope you got to share a little bit. Um, <laughs> Did you get to share at all? Well, we'll go back into our groups uh, a few times actually today. And um, again, as we think about Advent, as we think about welcoming Jesus, we're welcoming his peace and his hope into our, uh, his joy into our life. And Dave uh, just preached such amazing sermons. I've probably thanked him like four or five times this week for preaching just because of how it's been a blessing to me and how it's been a blessing to me because I didn't have to preach. So really grateful for both of those things. Um, And today we think about what love is. And I feel like this is a question our society has asked for a long time. And there's so many different definitions, right? We think about love being just sex. We think about love being an emotion when you're infatuated with someone, when you see someone walk across a room and everything like goes black and there's this you know, spotlight on her and, and then you feel all of these things. Um, you marry her. Her name's Nina. Then you have a kid, right? Um, but then you also talk about love like falling out of it. Like there was the spotlight and then... Everything went black, and I have a lot of, fa- of friends that went through multiple divorces, and, and they talk about that often, that the feeling that they used to have, they didn't have it anymore. It, it, it was gone for years. And then we also think about love kind of as a, as a Christian concept, and often when we look at love uh, biblically, we go to this, oh, there's Nina. This is, what did I say? I can't remember what I said to make her smile that big. Okay, so um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. We think about this passage, and I've been preached, uh, I've heard many sermons on it, and oftentimes the concept that's conveyed is that when we truly love somebody, right, or when we are truly loved by another, all of these attributes will be true. Like when I fall in love with uh, Nina, 
I will, I will display patience. I won't be self-seeking. I won't keep any records of wrong. Or if I really love my child, I will embody all of these attributes. I will, I will always persevere. I'll always trust. I'll, um, I will never fail him. But when we read these adjectives of love, who actually is able to do these things? You know, I, I, we're setting up our house, and uh, oh, we bought a house, by the way, if you guys didn't know. We're excited to uh, have you guys over. And um, one, one of the, my worst, like, picture frame is the frame that has my vowels in them. Because I'm an idiot, I decided to write my own vows, and I wrote just stupid things, things that I don't know if I ever was able to keep for even a week, right? I said, Nina, I vow to give you the best part of my day. That's not been true. I won't raise my voice when I'm angry. That's not been true. I will take us to our knees in prayer every night. I don't know if I got to do that yet. You know, it's just really embarrassing how many vows I've broken. I would totally rewrite it. Like, I will try my best. <laughs> you know, I just stop there. I'm going to try really hard uh, most of the time. Um, and... And what I also realized is as much as I love Nina, and you probably realize this, as much as you love your best friend or your mom or your, your significant other, some of these attributes fail. You know, I fail not being easily angered. Even though I love her to death, I fail at patience. I fail sometimes at kindness. And I, there's no one else in the world that I love more than Nina and then it's like, do I really love her? Like, what's going on here? Um, I remember doing, like, have you ever seen those people in yellow jumps, uh, orange jumpsuits cleaning up the freeway? So how you get there, or how I got there, was <laughs> I didn't pay off a traffic ticket, and then I got a notice in the mail to show up for court, and I didn't come to that. And then, like, I was picking up freeway, tr- freeway trash for five days. And meeting all kinds of people, right? It was a great evangelistic opportunity. You know, you always ask, hey, what are you in for? How long do you have? I was like, I got three days. I was negligent on traffic tickets. Other people are like Grand Theft Auto and other things. And, um, and, but everyone's really nice. And so I was picking up this trash with this one guy, and we're hanging out. And then we, we kind of hid behind a bush to like take a break. And we had some really great conversation behind a bush with all these cars like flying by us in jumpsuits. And um, I said, hey, what are you in for? You know? and, and then he said um, he was in there for domestic violence. He actually uh, beat up on his wife. And then he said something really profound. He said, I love her so much. And he said, I love her so much, but when we get drunk and we start fighting, I just can't help myself. Like, I just, I hate it, but I am violent to her. And then one day the police was called and he, he ended up there with me. And isn't there something really profound about someone who can love someone deeply and yet be abusive to them? I think that this next verse sheds some light on that, sheds some light on how we can love someone so much and, and, be, and display the opposite in some of these categories of what love is. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, there's this, there's this definition of God 
right? God is love. There's three God is phrases in the Bible if you're taking notes. God is spirit, speaking about his essence. God is light, speaking about his righteousness. And God is love. And so it's talking about who God is, what he's made up of. But then I think it's also speaking about what love is. That love is primarily not an emotion. Love is primarily not a transaction between two people, not a verb. Love is primarily a noun. Love is primarily something that you possess. We are love. Or maybe in some respects, we are not love. Love is possessible. So when we think about God being love, embodying and having love define who he is, not first what he does, but who he is, then we understand that everything that comes out of him is love, right? Because we do who we are. We act in accordance to our character, in accordance to our being. And so God displays love. God acts in love because he is love. And then I think about how maybe a better idea of love for us is that we are love also or are not love. Or in other words, we possess aspects of love. And maybe there's other aspects of love that we don't possess. And, and then that speaks to how we can be uh, patient with if we possess patience, if patience is a part of who we are, then we're patient, right? To our wife, to our dog who peed on the floor, to the person who cut us off on the freeway, to our best friend. But if we don't possess patience, we're not only impatient to the person on the freeway, but we're impatient to the people closest to us, to the people we care or love most. If we're someone who doesn't keep records of wrongs, we, doesn't, we don't keep record of wrongs towards anybody. But if we do, we have like this black book in alphabetical order time stamped on how our husband have hurt us since we started dating and for the last, last 30 years. You see, when we think about love in this way, we don't ask whether we love somebody. We ask whether we possess love, whether these attributes or these characters of love defines who we are. And when they do, it will define how we interact with everyone around us. And so we have this man who loves his wife. She's the closest thing to him, and yet he's violent to her. And then we have another man, Jesus, who is tender and kind and caring, not only just to his disciples, but to the woman at a well who was a prostitute to the tax collector, to the sinners, because it's who he is, it's how he interacted with everyone. So I wanted to take another pause in the middle of our sermon, go back into our small groups, and, and to start conceptualizing love in this way. I don't think necessarily this is the only definition of love. I don't think it is at all, but I feel like it's one of the ways in which we could start understanding it or one aspect of love. And so thinking about love in this way, what are three aspects of love that you do possess? And there's aspects of love that we do well, right? There's aspects of love that we kind of get to bless everyone around us with. So what are one or two or three aspects of love, characteristics of love that you would say, oh, that defines me? And then what are a few aspects of love that you really struggle in? and that you, you hurt your, 
significant other by or you hurt your brother or sister in uh, because none of us have love in its completeness. And so I would love for us to get back into our groups and just to kind of start naming off or thinking about uh, these two questions. Okay, I'll be back in three minutes. All right, thanks so much for sharing. Uh, we'll have another time where you could kind of extend it however long you want, so you could kind of catch up if you uh, missed this question. For all our single people, unmarried people, I just wanted to give you two dating tips, kind of ra- just, to, just to throw it out there. The first one is, as you think about love in this way, I would say when you're dating someone or when you're, um, when you're interested in someone, don't ask whether they love you primarily. Ask whether they possess love. And find that, in, especially if they're interested in you, find that in, in how they treat other people, especially people they have power over, the homeless person, the waitress, um, their younger sibling, you know, their grandma. How do they treat the people around them? Because how we act is always out of who we are. And so ask not if they love you, but do they possess love? And then the second idea uh, that I want to throw out to you when it comes to dating is that as we become people who possess love, we become more compatible. You know, if you, eHarmony, none of you guys know what that is, but it was like the first dating website from like 2001 when you were born. And um, I'm just kidding. But uh <laughs> Uh, they have like 35 dimensions of compatibility, like your beliefs, your values, your interests, right? And all those things are important. But then I think about how we're always compatible with love, how none of us are incompatible with someone who hopes in us, who trusts, who perseveres. None of us, um, no one will be incompatible with us if we are kind and patient, if we don't keep record of wrong. So as you not only think about this other person that you desire to love or to be loved by, maybe more so ask whether you are becoming a person of love, whether you are becoming more like God. Now, when we look at our weakest areas, you know, um, there's, there's, we think about what are the solutions to that? Do I just become more polite if I'm unkind? Do I just try to forget when people offend me? Um, do I just try some other behavioral modification um, solution? I was sitting down with this person on the airplane. He's a neuropsychologist, and he's working with a patient, a client who has massive anger issues. And so he's about to get fired from his job because he'll just blow up at his coworkers, right? Like violently, throwing staplers and stuff. I don't know, maybe. And um, he's telling his, his client, hey, um, before you get angry, because anger kind of blindsides you. He was talking about um, neurology and how if you do an MRI on the brain and someone feels angry, it just kind of all lights up at once, like a Christmas tree. And, and you feel like you're blindsided by it. You don't see it coming. So you're trying to create pauses. He says, pause when you're angry. Count to 10. Take deep breaths. And that's good advice. But then the next week, his client comes back, and he said, okay, I counted to 10, but I thought of 10 different ways to murder my coworker, you know? <laughs> like one, drowning, two, fire, three, you know, just like very violent things. And I think that when we look at how to correct these things, it can become superficial corrections. 
Maybe that's how we became sociable, right? Is that we made these super, superficial corrections, but our heart is still unkind, even though we're smiling. Um, our mind is still judging, even though we're giving them a hug. How do we have these deep soul um, love transformation? You know, there's this uh, passage in First John, again, uh, chapter 4. Four. Let's see. Uh, verse eight. It says, "Oh no! Oh, I lost it." Okay. In 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 John, First John, it says, "We love because He first loved us." One more time. We love. We're able to love. We're able to understand love. We're able to become love because He first loved us. That this transformation happens not because we're trying harder, not because we're trying to grow love into places where it's not, but. But out of love, being loved, we can become love. We love because he first loved us. And when I think about our culture, it has this message as well. When we look at the movies we watch, the songs we sing, the poetry that we read, because we just read poetry last night, um, there's this guy who's a war-hardened veteran, you know, with glazed eyes, walking into a coffee shop. He's totally callous, but this girl with a south southern accent pours him coffee smiles at him and he just starts to melt and they fall in love right all of those movies or the girl who's like gloomy and gray goes to high school and this guy's just obsessed with her and loves her so much and his name's edward and uh she becomes a vampire right and we, we just understand that love transforms us. As a culture, there's so many stories about that. And I think it's actually out of a biblical principle. I think this, this man or woman is actually kind of a, a Jesus figure in some ways, in some movies. They're so perfect, the way that they love. It's this longing, I think, for perfect love. And so how do we receive the love of God? in a way that transforms us. Because if, if you've been Christian for a while, this phrase that God loves you is almost inoculated and, and you just hear it every week. And yet there's still these aspects of love that we don't possess. So where's the disconnect? I think for me, what I've learned is that I have filters up on receiving God's love. Meaning that I understand his love, but I filter out aspects of it. Because my fundamental concepts of love comes from my parents. And so when I understand that God loves me, it's often with this uh, concept of love that's confined to how my mom has loved me. And in the way she's loved me well, I'm able to receive God's love well. But in the ways maybe that she's, her love is incomplete, which we all have incomplete aspects of love, it's very difficult for me to grasp God's love in those ways, in those aspects. I remember when I was, um, so my mom, she, she got a 98%, um, 97%, I'm sorry, as her average test score in nursing school. I don't think I've ever seen a 97, but that was like every other day. It was just like another Wednesday night. She'd get a 97, right? And uh, so that was her average test score. She graduated as a valedictorian. This is at the age of like 55. 
Before that, she got two masters, one in Christian education, another in nutrition. And then before that, she went to one of the, uh, the top high school in Taiwan, which you have to get tested into. And the whole nation tries to test into this. It's like Troy on steroids. And when you get in, they literally set off fireworks. Your parents will set off fireworks in front of your house, which must be a fire hazard, to celebrate that their child got into this high school. And I failed fifth grade. Her son, <laughs> right? It's like, and uh, so she's often looking at my dad like, this is your fault, you know? Um, and uh, third, fourth grade, I remember taking home uh, test scores, and we were doing multiplication, and zeros are super easy, because so, the answer is always zero. So I gave that to my mom, A plus, and she was like, good job, son. I knew, you, I knew we were related, you know, give me a big hug. And then uh, ones are easy, it's just the same number, and you just write it down. And so I got 100% on that. She, she bought me ice cream. Twos were easy. You add the other number twice, you know, I got a pat on the back. And then threes, though, what the heck do you do with threes, right? With multiplication, there's, it makes no sense. And so I remember I failed it, and she was really upset with me. And she's like, hey, you got to try harder. You got to study more, memorize that. I was like, okay, I tried my best. I failed it again. And she's like, come on, Wilson, you're smarter than this. You could do this. And then I failed it again. And then she was like, I don't, I don't understand what's wrong with you. And then I failed it again. And... Um, I remember there was times where I struggled in school and she would just kind of like disown me, you know? And then, and because the test score wasn't just a reflection of, of me, it was a reflection of her as a mom. It's like, she's not getting an A. And so I remember the next time I came home, I was looking at my test and it had another F on it. And so I, 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 I crumbled it up and I threw it into the bush and then I told her I got an A. And I passed threes, and she gave me this big hug. And then the next week, I walked in, and, and I failed again. But I crumbled it up. I put it into a bush. I told her I passed fours. And she hugged me again. And she said, I knew you were my son. And then, and then I, got, I failed again, but I crumbled it in a bush. I put it, and then she, I said, I passed fives. She took me to ice cream. And then one day, she cut the bush. And all of my failures were just like right in front of her. And she was so angry. And then I just thought, man, God loves me. But part of that means when I'm a good Christian, he gives me a hug. And he says that he's proud that I'm his son. But when I fail spiritually, when I get Fs in my purity or in my pastoring or in my preaching, that he kind of just distances himself. He disowns me. And then I think about my mom, how she grew up, and how when she gave, got a test score back, if it wasn't 100%, they would, they would hit her. Can you imagine that? Either you get 100 and you don't get physically abused, or you, or you miss a question and you get hit once. You miss another question, you get hit twice. You miss three questions, you get hit three times with the stick on the back of your fingers. And her, her mom would give her hugs when she did well and would um, beat her when she did poorly. And so when she thought about being a Christian, it was how do I be a perfect Christian? Because when I'm not, 
God doesn't love me. And it was all about checking the boxes for her. You know, uh, she worked at church for 17 years. And then after that, she had a really rocky few years at the end of her church career. And then basically she was fired and it crushed her because she didn't have any of those Christian accolades anymore. She felt like she failed the Lord. She went into a pretty uh, deep depression. I remember coming home at 2, 3 a.m. after hanging out with my friends, which probably shouldn't hang out for that long. And she would just kind of be walking the living room in the dark because uh, she couldn't sleep. My dad was really worried about her, and, and he quit his job just to, like, stay with her at night, bring her breakfast in the morning, take her out on walks. And it was this whole journey of her finding Jesus when she didn't feel like she could produce anything for him. She wasn't useful anymore at church. She didn't even go to church. And then she found that God loved her there from friends visiting her, from retreats, from her time in agonizing prayer and worship. She was kind of just, she deconstructed this faith of performance and God put it together in this other foundation of grace. And the woman you meet now is so different from the woman that I grew up with. She's so beautiful and kind and this deep transformation I, I didn't know was possible. And then for me, I found God in those ways too as I explored scripture and found his patience and perseverance with the Israelites. And I said, God, I want to believe that when I fail, when I sin, that you're still with me. That you love me when I'm um, preaching and doing, doing well in ministry, but you love me just as much when I'm playing volleyball. And when I mess up, that you're sitting next to me and holding my hand and saying, hey, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. Let's get up. Let's keep moving forward. I'm with you. And it took so many years, and I still am fighting to receive those aspects of God's love. But when I see my mom get taken in, and when I start learning about it, there's this whole new way in which I am being loved by God. And it doesn't feel cliche at all. And as I'm being loved by him in, in this patient way, in this persevering way that I had filtered out in the past, I find myself slowly becoming more patient and persevering because I've received it. And I think for me this morning, that's what I want most for you is to ask the Lord to love you in this specific way that you're void of. And, and that this week you would experience Jesus' love in a way that you've never experienced it before. Because we, we've all filtered out his love in particular ways. We've all believed God's love to be like our mom or our friend or our husband, where it's flawed. It's limited. There's, there's an expiration date or there's a, there's a, there's a cap on it. And, and God wants to blow all of you, us away and have us experience his love in a way that surprises us, surprises you again, and transforms you. And so I would love for us, um, maybe after I pray, to pray for each other and to ask, what, 
how, what experience of love do you need from Jesus this week? As you look at 1 Corinthians 13, and you wade through those characteristics, and you realize that there's parts of you that are void of love, of that aspect of love, how do you not try harder, but receive God's love more? Through his word, through the community, um, through even reflecting back, like I always believed God was very performance-based, and then when I fought to, to take in this truth that he loves me outside of my good and bad, I looked back at my life and I'm like, wow, he doesn't just smite me when I do things wrong. Because every time I did something wrong, I'm like, okay, now he's going to take something away. Now he's going to punch me in the face. And then I look back, I'm like, wow, he's been so patient. So God will even reveal your history to show you that he's always loved you in that way. And maybe now you're just starting to see it and trying to experience it in your present, in your future. But then you get to re-experience it in your past as well. His love has always been there in that way for you. So my prayer for you is that God would help you experience the love, that aspect of love this week. Father, we come to you this morning and we we acknowledge that your love is agape love, is unconditional. Your love is complete and full in ways that we can't, we have to, we like limit it because we just don't get it. But I'm asking, Lord, for my brothers and sisters and for myself that we would experience your love in a new way this week, in the way that we're most void of it, and that you would surprise us. Thank you, God, for dying the cross and showing the extent of your love that you're willing to sacrifice yourself for us. Um, You loved us so much that you gave your one and only son so that we can be forgiven and experience this love. And I pray that this morning we would. Maybe for those of us who don't know your love, who've never experienced it, um, who who aren't a Christian or aren't sure, God, I pray that this morning they would simply trust you. I pray that this morning they would simply pray a prayer, Jesus, help me to know you love me and please forgive me of my sins. God, we come to church this morning not to sit through another service. We want to love you more. Whether we're hearing about you for the first time whether we haven't been to church in 10 years, or whether we're a pastor, we need your love. And I pray that all of us would experience more of that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I would love us, lastly, to take um, three, four minutes to pray for each other, to, to ask this question and to ask for each other that we would experience God's love this morning. And if you're not a Christian, maybe you just get prayed for, and that's totally okay, too. And then uh, would you take communion with the people in your group? And uh, me and Dave and um, Ken and Chrissy and Joanne, we're going to be on the side here, and we would love to pray for you as well um, and, and pray that God would allow you to experience his love for you this morning. Okay? Go ahead and uh, pray with your groups.